Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 49 of the 7am Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge for Stuff Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we're again talking about keeping the faith in your writing, but this time we're getting a kind of different perspective from a writing and creativity coach. Uh, Maida Wagner is the author of What's Your Creative Type? Harnessing the Power of Your Artistic Personality and the Substack newsletter Page Fright. She is a writing and creativity professor at Emerson College and instructor at Grub Street. Maida is the creator of the original model for creativity, the five creative types, and has given talks about it at TEDx, creativity com- conferences, and corporate events and webinars. Maida was previously on an, an award-winning marketing communications executive, so she's got a great perspective on this to help us out with creativity. Because I think day 49, Maida... We need, we need a creative push, right? And we need a way to keep going. So welcome so much. Thank you so much for getting up, up with us this morning. How are you doing? I'm awake by now. So thank you for having me. Is this is, I, now I see what sunrise looks like. It's now awesome. you see what sunrise looks like. Yes, it's strange and kind of nice. Um, okay, so we're going to start off with... Um, Nita, you've 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 been teaching this a lot. You've worked with a lot of writers. So, what specific fears and doubts do you often hear from the writers that you work with? You know, it feels like an endless list. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say, I hear more from writers than from other creative people in other fields. And I've tried to figure out why that is exactly. I think one thing might be because all literate people write from a very young age, and in a way, it gets devalued. So people like if you tell somebody you're an author, they're all very impressed. But, you know, secretly, I think a lot of people are thinking, well, I can write. Well, so they, they'll say, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of writing a novel. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's elevated and devalued at the same time. You know, people will. My own fear was I didn't have the discipline because mm-hmm. I was used to writing column length pieces and I thought I could never sit in a chair. And I did find that the most challenging part of writing a book was literally planting my butt in the chair and staying there and not snacking too much. So that's that's a, a very high on the list. The loneliness of it. The loneliness. Yeah. yeah the am I good enough? Um, and Because unlike most artistic, I mean, well, there are other artistic endeavors that people do have to spend a long time alone. But writing, it seems longer and you don't have as much to show for it. So if you're actually painting in a studio, you can come out covered in paint and it looks like you're actually working. And someone doesn't think that you're just, you know, looking at Facebook, um, exactly. you know. That's <laughs> so true. We don't have like the, the cool tools to kind of show off. It's just a laptop or a pad and paper, yeah. pad and pen. Um, I think the, am I good enough? Yeah. Even after people have been published, which is yeah. so sad in a way. And then the Am I Good Enough starts up again with the next project or a different genre. Um, I've heard people even say, I wrote it so quickly, it can't be good, right? Um, so I wrote one piece for Page Fright about too fast, too slow. It's like we almost don't give ourselves a break. If we write mm-hmm. it so slowly because we're giving it such thoughtful attention, we think something might be wrong. Mm-hmm. If it comes to us, you know, and we're sort of in a state of flow, it's almost like, wait, that's freaky, that that can't be any good. So it's a whole, so what I'm trying to do with page fright on Substack is just raise every single one of these thoughts that people have said to me, or I've thought for myself, and, wow. and just get a discussion going about them and some tips, but mostly, you know, shining a light on them. 
Yeah. So kind of like we all have those feelings. Most people, most writers I know have the same feelings. Yeah. And actually, if people don't have those feelings, they annoy me because <laughs> if they're like, no, I'm fabulous. I do everything, you know, it's, I have no doubts. I am just yeah, so I'm, on. I'm so, and you're, you're just like, go I have no that. need for them. Go yeah. Away. It's not helpful. I like, um, I like neurotic writers. That's, that's my brand. <laughs> neurotic writers are necessary. All right. We do have a good question um, in the chat to even get us going. Doesn't the I'm not good enough precede writing? That writing a novel can be a way to prove you are good enough. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I think if you take my fear, I didn't, don't, didn't have the discipline, right? Well, once I got a contract... I suddenly discovered the discipline, like how fantastic is that? It's the doing of it. I absolutely agree with them. It's the doing of it that disproves the fear because all that anticipatory anxiety of I can't, I'm not good enough, I don't have the time, I don't have the discipline, all those sorts of things is too lonely. But once you do it, and then you look back and you're like, I've done it. So now I know I can do it. But that's not to say it doesn't creep again, creep in again with the next writing project sometimes. And you almost have to remind yourself. Yeah, because you think, well, I did it that once. Oh, I'm never going to be able to get that back. That that was my height. That was the, the height of, of what I can do. And I can never get back to that space. Yes. I mean, I remember thinking, I think most writers do that. Oh, if I can just get this book done, then again, I will have proved, proven myself to the world that I'm a writer. Um, and and so we work, 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 and we and we kill ourselves to get that book out and, and, you know, the book might do well, it might not do well. Um, and yet then you have to face the second project. And what I found is that when I was on tour for my first book, you know, I really liked meeting people. And I, that's what how I convinced myself to enjoy the tour. I was like, okay, Michelle, just take to enjoy the human connection more so than like how many people are here or how many yeah. sales am I getting? Cause that's not going to be fun. But mostly I wanted to get back to my desk to work, which was funny because when I was trying to get the novel done, I so desperately just wanted to be done and not have to work on it anymore. Um, so, right. you know, it, I think it comes back. Um, well, Twyla Thorpe in her book, the creative habit, she has a serve a creativity survey. I encourage anybody to check it out. It's a beautiful book anyway. And one of the questions is, do you, which do you love more, the process or the product? Mm. And people who love the process, it, they're at a little bit of an advantage in a way, because it sounds like that maybe you, it's, you can kind of stick with it. You look forward to it. Even if you have frustrations, you come back to it. If you're super focused on the product being the finished manuscript, the publishing of it, doing the book tour, sometimes it's hard to stick you know, stay within yourself as a writer. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, <laughs> if you're a team process, then sometimes you dread the book tour and the speaking in front of people and all of that. So it's good to have both skills, it's but it's, it's really important to be, get joy from the process. Yeah. Keep so, the yeah. Henriette Lazarita, who also and teaches yeah. at, at Grub, and, and so, and she also teaches about athletics and and writing and she says um we would never devalue an athletic event in which the athlete experienced flow or was in the zone why do we do this um to writers <laughs> and why do why do writers mistrust when they're in the flow and in the zone um yeah you know not everyone thinks that they can do the high jump but everyone thinks that they can write a book so that's right. what's hard too right yeah and here's a very specific self-doubt I see in the chat. Does anyone ever think I don't know enough words have a vast vocabulary? 
Oh, that's so interesting. I haven't heard anybody pose it quite that way, but I know for myself and for others, sometimes the words are just not coming. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll have a page that's just full of blanks. And I've learned to not be all anxious about it because when I go back to it the next day, it all just kind of comes to me and it's sort of like, well, why didn't that happen yesterday? But there's a lot of that sort of like, why didn't it? Why couldn't I? Um, and there's some level of faith I think you have to have in yourself and trust and, you know, not an overattachment to being in the state of flow or getting everything right immediately or yeah. things going smoothly. Just because it goes smoothly doesn't mean it's going to be great. And just because you had a struggle doesn't mean it's going to be bad. Right. Um, and I think my overriding thing is, you know, figuring out your your why, why are you so driven to write this novel or a short story collection or memoir, whatever it is, there's something within you that's just pushing you to do this thing because truly nobody is asking for it, you know? Yeah. And so you're, it's not like a job you're going to and somebody's expecting something of you. It's sort of like you took it upon yourself to do this because it might've been a lifelong dream you might just love writing despite the frustrations. You have something to say. And I think it's really good to when you lose your way to keep coming back to that why. And it might be yeah. different, different projects, but I yeah. think you have to be conscious of that. Um, I think I also relate. So that, um, again, back to the, I don't know enough words have a vast vocabulary, which is such a very specific self-doubt. Um, you know, I grew up, both my both of my um, parents were uh, college educated. My father was actually a, a, a professor of finance. So, and my mother had been an English teacher, but all my testing math in spatia was my height and language was my lowest. Um, and so I was really good at science. I was really good at math. I could do all those things easily, but they bored me and I wasn't interested in them and I wanted to write and I wanted to read. So I had to do a lot of catch up um, in order to expand my vocabulary in order to, in order to feel smart enough, good enough around those people that were just natural language people. Um, so I definitely feel that, but I think you can, you can learn. And I think what writers are so tough on themselves about is they look at old drafts and they look at even old published books or, or published story or something. And they're like, oh, that's so awful. And I think, well, that means that, okay. But that might mean you've learned something. And yeah. that's actually pretty great. Because yeah. when we stop learning, we might as well be dead. You know, we've got to keep learning. Um, so, so finding that space between where you're at now and where you were at before, instead of being embarrassed by it, just know that that's, that's a learning growth. So let's go back to this point. Um, what is the single most important thing? So dealing with all of these doubts, loneliness, uh, am I smart enough? Can, can I do this? Keep staying in the chair. Am I good enough as my friend? Um, what's the, what's the single most important thing to keep yourself motivated? Knowing that you chose to do this, why you chose to do this. You know, I came up with this idea of the five creative types, studying hundreds of creative people in all different fields. And I had developed a course at Emerson on why do people create, right? I thought, oh, we're always talking about the how we don't always talk about the why. So it was kind of a, you know, intellectual exercise at first. And then I thought, no, I, I think actually this adds up to something. So when I looked at, you know, Virginia Woolf and Sylvia Plath and Picasso and Hemingway, on and on, they had a really clear sense of why they were doing the work they were doing. It yeah. came through in their journals, diaries, interviews, 
things like a movable feast, you know, whatever it was. And I thought, oh, it's not to say some of them weren't brilliant or geniuses, which we can't all be. Okay, so let's give them a hundred for talent. But I think they had that extra little thing of, you know, what, what makes up drive. And they really had a clear sense of why they were doing the work they were doing. And I thought, oh, that could be a really useful thing for people to know about themselves just as a way in and to keep returning to when you hit writer's block, when you hit doubts, you know, some fears and doubts, you have to kind of work on yourself. Yeah. This is sort of a, you know, I had a student once who for his thesis, he kept it taped to his laptop. And I always thought, I always thought that's really clever, actually, because you can lose sight of it, right? As you're writing a yeah. you know, five paragraph paper kind of thing. And it's almost like, oh, keep, keep that in front of you. Why are you doing this when your kids are like calling for your attention or you feel like my job takes up too much time or this is raising a lot of, you know, self-doubt and that's uncomfortable, you know, keep going back to the why. And the whys that I discovered were, you know, like ego. You know, mm-hmm. love of the craft and the process, joy in it, um, wanting to do something different in writing that's been done before, um, catharsis and helping other people and and activism, doing things that will benefit the world. So those were like the five broad categories. And if you can kind of find your way into some of those subcategories, I think it's just like a self-knowledge thing. Yeah, that's interesting. So if I think about, you know, my my first two books took place in the Midwest, and I think I really wanted to express a certain kind of emotional existence um, and, a, and a certain kind of uh, a way of living and thinking from people that I wasn't reading a lot about um, in other novels. And um, as I continue, yeah, just a, just a particular perspective or things that I want to say about women in particular, particularly women that don't follow the usual line, that don't have children, that that kind of rebel and 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 go into work instead um so thinking about what got you excited in the first place by that particular project right yeah. what drove you, you what 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 was that spark where was it and always going exactly. back to that because we lose that. so much that can this is hard work yeah takes a long time you know Orwell said it was like a like a horrible illness every book that he wrote and I always think he was quite the drama queen but this the truth to it right and he says nobody would ever do it unless they were absolutely driven to it and I think I agree with that you know and it doesn't mean driven you know some people compare themselves am I as passionate as, as this person about it? it's like okay, the passion for it may be at its height sometimes, reality might get in the way other times, don't be hard on yourself about that. But you had an initial spark, you had a purpose, you had a reason, you were motivated, and don't, you know, 30, 40 pages in, if life happens and you start to get derailed, you know, come back to that, come back to that. Or if it's changed for you, maybe you started out with one purpose, And things, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of women, especially want to write about women's issues now and want to write about female characters that we haven't seen before or that, you know, there's so many books now, even in the nonfiction realm about the wife of or something like that, where they never got the due for the proper, you know, uh, acknowledgement for their contribution to their husband's achievements kind of thing. So that to me, that's almost like an activist impulse. Let's yeah. bring them into the forefront. I think that's really on a lot of people's minds right now. 
And what we're talking about here in terms of, we, we talked earlier in the, in the challenge about what's holding you back. And there are a lot of things in the publishing world that can hold people back. There are bigger obstacles for certain um, writers of certain identities that are writing about certain kinds of projects. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a huge concern. Um, and it's definitely something to talk about. But today we're talking about, because we can't always control those things. Exactly. So today we're talking more about what we can control That's right. um, outside the big monstrous world of, of publishing. Um, so it basically also just writing down, why am I doing this? Why was I excited? Probably getting it down. And so other, and, and um, Susan Bernhardt, I know she's working on her second novel. Her first novel was widely beloved, Winter Loon. She, yeah. We were lucky enough to count her among one of our novel incubator alums. Um, she's working on her second book. Second books can also be just really hard because especially if your first book does really well, you're like, oh, damn it, I got to do it again. So what are some very specific practical tricks? So, okay, remember why I love this, but are there, are there ways that we can specifically get that into our minds or remind ourselves of that or other other specific and practical tricks for falling back in love with our work. Yeah, absolutely. I will give you a, a kind of a broader thing. I'll get into some specifics as well. But if anybody hasn't yet seen the Elizabeth Gilbert TED Talk, it's one of my all-time faves. And it was, she gave it after she had done Eat, Pray, Love, which she calls a freakish success. And now what is she going to do? Right. You know, and the sophomore jinx, the sophomore curse and all that. And I admire her so much because she did a book about marriage. And in a way, got away from the comparison to the first book by doing something that almost guaranteed would not be as popular. It would not be a cult favorite. It was more of a sort of research-based book. I thought that was super interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like getting back into it, I think, first of all, like you said, writing a lot about what's motivating you, what's standing in your way, talking to other people about it. You know, people are ashamed of so many things. And that's one thing I'm trying to bring to the light is people have very similar fears and doubts as writers. Yeah. And strangely, it doesn't matter if they've been writing 40 years or haven't even been published yet. Mm -hmm. I think <laughs> we'd have fewer of those over time. I'm not so sure we do. And so that's kind of the bad yeah. news, I guess. The good news is I think you develop more wisdom and capacity to deal with these fears and doubts. You can kind of talk yourself out of it. You can talk with a, you know, a writer's group. You can do things, go with your strengths. You know, if you're somebody who's like, unless I write every day, I know I'm going to give up on it, then write every day. But don't take advice necessarily from others like, you know, you have to produce a thousand words every day or whatever, go with what works for you. And you, you yeah. know, after a short time, what's working. Um, so don't, don't be so down on yourself about what doesn't work and look at the things that are working and stick with those because everybody has their own process. So it's, it's kind of all that sort of um, self-talk to a degree, but I also think talking with other people and realizing that it's it's just it's not unusual. You're not like some weird freak because you have these doubts in your 30s and you still have them in your 40s, you still have them in your 50s. So yeah. I mean, I hear people talk about imposter syndrome. And they, yeah. they say, Well, I have imposter syndrome. I'm like, well, I have imposter syndrome too. <laughs> just, that is who doesn't have imposter right syndrome? Yeah. And again, yeah. If, if you don't have imposter syndrome, I I think you're probably a very annoying person. Like I just don't, I don't. 
I don't think I like you. Back to the fun neurotic <laughs> people that we love. Um, okay. And I also think not only talking to people about your fears and doubts, but talking to people, if you're willing about your, the, the current book you're working on, because what you'll see is you'll, you'll talk about it and there'll be certain things that kind of light up in their eyes. Yes. Um, and that's what you can chase after too. That kind of excitement that you see in them. I think at least for me, I remember that. And I'm like, oh, I am doing something that can be exciting. I am doing something that will touch people. I am doing something that people are really interested in. So I think that can really be helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think also not getting overly attached. This is starting to sound a little Buddhist or something, but to when you're in that state where things are going so well, and then you come out of it and you're like, oh, I'll never feel that again. It's like, you probably will feel that again. It might not be for a couple of weeks. You know, it might yeah. be a little bit of grinding it out for a couple of weeks and then you get that little spark again, but it's not constant sparks. And it's funny, like, why do we think writing should be like that? It's not, nothing in life is like that. Even if you love your job, it's not like a constant high, you know? Yeah. Even if you love your partner, it's not like every day is a bed of roses, right? So I don't know why we, we put that onto writing. So I think that there's a lot of just sort of like, oh, I loved that last hour of writing. And when I look at it the next day, it actually does hold up, right? Yeah. Then, you know, and then there's those next days where it's like, what was I thinking? You know, yeah. what was I thinking? Again, it's just a normal part of the process. I think when you get sort of, when you freak yourself out, because it wasn't all going smoothly, or it wasn't all the words you want to get the first time out. You know, that's what revisions for. That's what maybe stepping away from it for a day or two is for. That's what, you know, sending pages to somebody else to look at is for. There's so many ways having an accountability partner, as, which I know you're going to be doing on your Substack, um, to just sort of like calm it down regard these fears as normal. And there are little tricks for the brain to kind of get you through it. So can you give us some other tricks? Cause I think other people, so for me, I like go back into pages that I know that I love and pages that excite me and I read it over. Um, so that for me would be a good trick. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on your sort of your creative personality type. So for me, when I was writing my book, because I've got a little bit of the egoist in me. I, I, I want to picture my book on a shelf in a bookstore. Mm. And that was, that was a really driving force for me. You could say that seems superficial, whatever that worked for me. I loved, you know, when you say process or product for me, it was to some degree product product. Other things were, Oh, I, I did get that. I searched and searched for that you know, beautiful sentence or that exactly right word and finally hit on it. And that's so exciting to me in this really nerdish way, right? That I want to go back to that and just feel proud of that and hope that I can do that again. You know, it's sort of like, what's, what do you visualize? What brings you that joy? What do you want to accomplish that you haven't accomplished yet with your book? Mm -hmm. um, what's that missing part for a novel of the storyline that's that's just not working and how satisfying it'll feel when it does work why is that character in there and you know you have to get rid of it 
and it's so painful and you get rid of them and suddenly things open up. So it's, you know, it's keeping almost like the memory sense of those moments that feel good yet without constantly chasing them and yeah. you'll have them again and not feeling bleh when you don't have them. So each writer's um, type would have their own goal. Like, so you say like ego, what are some of the other writer types? Yeah. So I call the A-lister is the ego driven and the uh, art for art's sake is the artisan and someone who wants to do something completely new in their genre is the game changer. Um, someone who's kind of trying to figure out meaning, um, a lot of memoirists, hard to say yeah. have this, um, put pieces of their life together on page, have some meaning, some catharsis, kind of paying it forward to other people is a sensitive soul. And then trying to make a change in the world is the activist, but make a change could just be a very small thing. Like we were talking about before elevating female characters or mm -hmm. being, shining a light on issues that women specifically face. So in each of those different categories, and this is just a way in to figure out your why. I right? think so too. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it helps to encapsulate it. Yeah. 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 And it was based on, as I said, these hundreds of different artists that I looked at and then I was like, oh, I see these patterns. This seems to be to me of the five key drivers. I'm sure there's, uh, you know, one for every single person in the world. But, you know, if you're driven by maybe a little bit more by ego than having the book on the shelf. Hello. Yeah. Is the thing, you know, is one of the things you need to sort of go like, okay, I'm going to get through this really tough chapter by visualizing that. Maybe I'll get to give some talks. All the stuff some writers just despise and fear was motivating to me. Mm -hmm. Other people are like, you know what? I, Sylvia Plath, when she was writing The Bell Jar, was like, she wrote in her diary, you know, oh, I get it. Now I know I, I want to do. I want to bring poetry to prose. Mm -hmm. And for the belt jar, that was her. Obviously, she had a story to tell based mm -hmm. on her life. But in terms of the artistry of it, that's what she wanted to do. I'm telling you, look at, you know, artists and writers diaries because it's so awesome you know they're so well written which is annoying um <laughs> the works of art in themselves but they really Virginia Woolf had a diary as she was working let's say on Mrs. Dalloway not so much about her life but her writing process I love that stuff mm -hmm. little goals along the way you know they were so clear you know Hemingway thought he could never make it through his first paragraph when he was working on the sun also rises so these big names, they had the same fears and they had it, but he wanted to do something special. He wanted to bring his journalism background, as we all know, the short crisp sentences into fiction. So I'm, I'm raising these kind of famous cases. That's something people can do for themselves. Oh, what is that specific thing you want to do that will excite you? And when you lose faith, you'll go back to, and it'll kind of drive you forward. Great. So each of those types kind of might help you to begin that journey of figuring out the why, figuring out your reason. Yeah. Um, and I do think they can kind of combine. They're not mutually exclusive, I would guess. Yeah. Oh, there's people who are, there are people who are like activists, you know, no question about it. Um, and I would say sensitive soul, no question about it. Some people are like, I kind of gravitate to two types um, and sort of switch in between them a little bit. 
But yeah, there are some people who are very clear. I am absolutely such and such type. Yeah. So, yeah everybody's different with that. And then, and then creating that forward image of that, that what, what, what you hope to get to, I think can, can be different. And I also think about, for me, particularly this book I'm working on now, the reason why I got so held up is that I was doing something that I realized that both I and my protagonist did not want to do. Um, I had framed my protagonist to have to search for answers in a certain way in order to, to lead the novel. And I realized that I didn't want her to be in that position. And so I had to do a lot of rethinking about what the novel was going to be and what got me excited by it, because that was beginning to bleed away my own excitement right. by feeling that I was having to push her in this way. So some of it, some of what might be blocking might be necessary to look at, like maybe this is not where the book is supposed to go. Maybe this is not where you're supposed to take the book. Um, maybe you need to examine that and really look at that resistance and figure out, okay, why, why is this not working for me? Why am I not liking this? And how will my disinterest or dislike help me get to reshape it in a way that I like it? Yeah, yeah love it again. I totally agree. Because what you're describing is you had the sense that you should do something. And there's right. a lot of shoulds in, you know, shoulds in life that yeah, we, we kind of have to do, right, for safety yeah. and concern for other people, whatever. This is your book. You know what I mean? This is your creative project. So once you hear yourself saying, I should do such and such, whether it's about the creative process or about the storyline or what the protagonist should do, I think that's worth, as you're doing, stepping back and saying, why do I have this pressure to make something happen? Does it make sense for the character and the story? Or did I have some idea about it that I didn't, that I don't need to pursue just because I already wrote 10 pages that way or 20 pages or whatever it is. You know, I, I think the the shoulds should set off some alarm bells. Because yeah. It's creativity. You don't, should, shouldn't even be a part of it basically, right? Yeah. And I think too, you know, some of, we've just gone through the pandemic, we're still going through the pandemic, whatever, um, you know, we go through these major, you know, 9-11 and, and the pandemic and these major and elect terrible elections. And we think, well, I just don't have the energy anymore. I can't, what's the point? Yeah. What's the point of what I'm doing? Everything I'm doing doesn't have a point anymore. And I actually would say, use those as well to re, to force yourself to figure out your point. I yeah. don't think those challenges are necessarily bad because I think we oftentimes need to be going going back into and force like, why am I doing this? Why do I think it's so important? If the world is falling apart, why am I doing this? And I think finding again that answer in the midst of chaos, in the midst of worry, in the midst of everything will get you back to your desk instead of just kind of falling back and kind of, you know, giving up on it, uh, use it as a way to drive you forward to re-question what you're doing and find that new answer again. And again, it might always be a new answer. Oh, I totally agree with you. You know, every time some kind of horrendous, tragic thing like that happens, there always follows some pronouncement like the novel is dead or the novel can't possibly, you know, have meaning about these big events because they're meaningless and there's a whole existential crisis about them and all of that. And then everybody sort of comes back to, oh my God, but art is sort of what saves us a lot too, you know, and maybe we're, after 9-11, people were very, writers were very tentative about addressing it. 
and it took quite some time actually. I, I researched this. Yeah. Anyone to go beyond very subtle references, what they could see through their window or something, and try to take it uh, head on because it was such a difficult, painful topic. And ultimately, people did. But it's not like you have to address any of these things head on, but it kind of gets into the culture, it gets into your consciousness, and I think it affects what you write. But still write, I mean, my God, it's like, what could be more important in this current environment than creativity and artistry and writing and creative expression? Like you said, this is something you can control yeah. when there's so much that's uncontrollable in life and have other people be able to just lose themselves in a novel. I mean, like what better feeling is there? It's it's just, it's so important. And I just want to say a quick word about COVID because we're out, but we're not out of it yet. Yeah. The isolation people have been feeling. It's horrible. And yet <laughs> it could be a good time for people to be more creative, have a little bit more reflective time devote themselves a little bit more. Maybe if you're working your job from home, you cut out two hours of commute or whatever, you might have a little bit more time to do the creative work you always wanted to do and never had the time for. And to also maybe not with friends as much or out and about as much. And that can be isolating. There's been fantastic artwork. You know, think about Frida Kahlo in her bed. Think about Stephen... Um, I'm sorry, Francis Ford Coppola had had polio for a year as a child before they had treatment for it. So can you imagine like a little kid, he doesn't know that he's ever going to get the use of his legs back. And his father had like an old timey video camera. And that's when he started fooling around with that and led to who he became. So it's so difficulties can lead to creativity. Yeah. I mean, isolation particularly. Yeah. And for me, that's basically why I started this podcast. Um, yes. So, you know, because I'm always I'm, I think I'm always looking for beauty and connection is, yes. is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, and so I go back to that and, and that gets me back to my backs to my place. OK, Nita, we're going to have to end. We're going to have to get these people to their desks. I'm hoping that people are able to find their why and are able to to remind themselves of that, get that down to empower themselves and use difficulties possibly as a way to reframe, rethink and recharge um, in order to, to write what they need to write and most want to write. Um, tomorrow, we're gonna talk about how do you know when you're, when you're done with Casey LeBlanc. And if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7 a.m. Novelist podcast on Substack and other podcast platforms. I think I have a tea kettle singing behind me. Someone's making tea, so I've got to end. But Maida, thank you so much today. What are you gonna to do today? Get some writing thank done? You. I, I just inspired myself. Fantastic. All right. Okay. And you inspired right me. And the okay. audience inspired well, me. Yes. I am is ready to go. So we're ready to get writing. Okay. Here we go, everyone. Thank you so much. And you go where it tells you to go. But you never wonder why there is nothing here.